Welcome back to the Senior Times podcast. Today, we'll continue the conversation with Gary Cook and Willie Anderson. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, we recommend you go back and take a listen. For those of you who are up to date, here is part two. The following year, in 1988, you were going to tour in France. You describe the night before you left for France in the Westbury Hotel, and you say that you want 25 pints every half hour for four hours. Now, the only thing I would ask you really is, I don't believe it took you half an hour to drink a pint. And, uh, <laughs> but, we were singing in between. Yeah. And you had, uh, this was a bonding session, and you talk about the power of bonding and the power of song. Yeah, well, it was something that probably was inherent to me, you know, coming through uh, King Scholar, which was Stan Millis and Dungallon, and you know Queen's players and, and all of that Ulster because that was part of our whole mantra I remember going to Canada and we were signed for maybe two to three hours after every match and that was that was a pair and a lot of those guys had come through Jimmy Davison would have been massively into that sort of kind of uh, pair of uh, song to bring people together but he knew that there was eight or nine players didn't want to travel on this tour Okay, and there was eight or nine rookies coming straight in and we had literally no time whatsoever to prepare to go to this like as everybody thought this was going to be just like a killing fields so so basically basically he said what do you need to bring these guys together and, and i just said this and then we we had the best crack and we we the likes of pat o'hara who was a brilliant singer and we got people like out there come out of the woodwork and there's people who were you know sitting quietly and you knew all the different type, types of people and people who were telling jokes and people who were jumping out of their socks so it, it actually like the romans used to do you know you just shoot the personalities jumping out and, and then I, I you got a bond and people started talking to each other and people who right. never met each other started to talk and then we went down to strings that night you know the the the, the guards took us down in the car and all that because that, J- jimmy mccoy amongst yeah. others was an ruc man yeah so, and john so, mcdonald yeah so that i mean that was it it was it was really funnily very very uh intense you know okay. it was it was a funny situation but it was you knew that it was it was a, a really deadly you know level to this well you, you describe you know uh french rugby has been pretty tough and i i've, I've obviously heard that so so many times and, and also you say uh, and you might want to come in on this too brandon you, you talk about that you read a report at one point that, that suggested that some of the french players might have been taking amphetamines before before matches and so on because you said that they look absolutely wired yeah I remember that one of my earliest memories of watching Five Nations rugby was Ireland playing in Paris. And I was always struck by the ferocity of the French when they were charging out of the tunnel. I just couldn't believe it. They were they were just snorting. Like they were they were <laughs> wired. And we used to joke about it, not understanding. Which your mate would be saying, geez, look at the state of these guys. It's, and I remember talking to Irish players subsequently. Is it like, how bad is it in Paris? It's just... You just can't cope with it there. And then many years later, it emerged that there was an amphetamine issue and that some of these fellas were snorting stuff in the dressing beforehand. How much they knew about what they were ingesting, I don't know. But it was, uh, this was coming out of France. I mean, it wasn't outsiders looking in saying, this is what you're doing. It was coming out of France and there was an issue. 
we knew that if you if and, and this was drilled into certainly me whenever I come on to Everton, if you play against France, you meet fire with fire. Yeah. And if you can get a better fire going than them, then they'll back off. But if you don't, they'll just absolutely hammer you. Yeah. So you did actually have some very good results are you uh, in that in that uh, uh, tour. And yeah. some of the teams you played were effectively the French team. Yeah, well, the two tests were the French team, yeah, near enough. And uh, the first one we won, uh, and it was probably one of the greatest, you know, certainly to that point in my life as a captain uh, and being on the pitch and knowing the, the history of Irish rugby in France. They hadn't won from, was it Brandon 72 or something? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so to to have got over the hurdle in uh, the little petite general's backyard in Oche and, and playing against people like Serge Blanco and Rodriguez and like it was one of the, for me, it was one of the, you know, epitomes of my or peaks of my whole rugby life. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and so much has to be given to the guys who were there because like the guys jumped out of their socks that day. Didn't you call an, a 99? Uh, I did, I did because there was <laughs> blood on everybody and there was more blood in me because I knew Rodriguez and I had it go to hammer and tongue and every time we got up we just hit each other. So it was great but a lot of times the boys were on call, did it, did it, retreat. <laughs> and it, it, it was in Paul Clinch not quite sure. Yeah, he uh, wasn't what, sure what, what, I was, what, what one was, no. <laughs> <laughs> Senior Times, in association with the Great Southern Hotel Killarney, are offering listeners, friends and followers of the Senior Times all the chance to win a wonderful three-night active retirement break for two people at the Great Southern Killarney, the premier historic hotel since 1854. With six acres of beautiful private gardens in the centre of Killarney Town, as well as its favourable location adjacent to the Killarney Railway Station, the Great Southern has without a doubt a superb and unrivalled location while also offering a deluxe guest experience. Simply answer one question. When was the Great Southern Hotel Killarney built? Send your answers to info at slp.ie. One answer per person and instant disqualification for multiple entries. Visit our website at seniortimes.ie and follow us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Deadlines for the email entries is 12pm, October 15th, 2021. You are clearly a warrior, um, and uh, you, 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 you talk about having a bit of the dog. You have to have it. I presume there's no other choice in international rugby that, to, 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 to really want the physicality of it. Yes, part of the game, and that's part and parcel of the game, and, and, and I think that's the attraction of the game. And, and I don't know where the game's going to end up, you know, with all the sort of melee now about you know head injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's that's what that's what attracts young fellas. That's what attracts me. That's what attracts you know to hit somebody as hard as you can, and he gets up and you get up and you, he goes well done, and then he does the same to you, and you say well done. I mean that's part and parcel of you hitting you cleaning out a rock or, or even in a scrum you know I enjoyed scrummaging behind Jimmy McCoy or any of the uh, tight head props because you knew if you got an inch you know that's an inch you had and that ball came back and you had a rock solid scrum and there's nothing as fantastic as that 
And did you ever cross the line? I went across the line, there's no <laughs> doubt, because in those days you could cross the line. But, you know, and you knew that that's what would happen if it happened. You have the scrum went down and you just maybe say, I'm just maybe going to touch your head slightly there. And, uh, you know, but that's what happened. That's, that's what you, you, in those days, I remember Jimmy Davison, you know, he, whenever he was coaching us before the All Blacks, he said, right, I'm going to lie down on the ground here, guys. Right, Ulster Pike, rock over top of me. And we all stepped over him. And, and he jumped up and he went absolutely ballistic. He says, I want you to do it again. And I want you to rip the shreds out of me. And the next time he just ripped him to me, he says, now that's what's going to happen to you guys. This week I'll be playing with the All Blacks. Because people would have said, when well, the shirt out from the All Blacks, and you would have been like, you shredded. Because that's what happened then, because you couldn't put your hands in the rock. You had, you had a rock over your legs. Talking about New Zealand, uh, one of your most famous moments came uh, against New Zealand in uh, 1989. Uh, you were captaining Ireland um, and you had a plan for the hacker. So tell us a little bit about this. Well, this plan was totally Jimmy Davison's idea because he was... He was, he was, you know, absolutely beside himself about the All Blacks because he played against them and he, and he was now captain or coaching against them. And and, and in fairness, it's, it happens. I just saw it happening last week or the week before. You know, the All Blacks come out, they do their hack out in your stadium. And what does the crowd do? They clap the hack yeah. So they're clapping the opposition before they actually you know, clap you. So he said, we're going to turn that around. We're going to have Lansdowne Road clapping us because we're going to advance upon them and we're going to pick a man and we're going to look at him and we're just going to get get right up into his face and eyeball him and get right into it. Now, this, you can see by even the photograph that I, I showed you the other day that some guys were going the other direction, you know. <laughs> well, but you you were kind of at the, you, you were the lead guy. Uh, I was moving from, from faster than the rest of them. Uh, and I think, did Nick Popperwell say he didn't actually know what was happening? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, but some guys sort of said it wasn't going to happen, or, you know, we didn't, we didn't know about it, but everybody was told what was going to happen. And this was Jimmy Davis, and, and literally, you know, there's no doubt the crowd were like... I've never felt, you know, an atmosphere like you could have boxed in that day. It was just phenomenal. And uh, you were eyeballing, was it Wayne Buck Sheldon? Yeah. And uh, uh, and how was that? How did they react? Well, in terms of, I mean, certainly the at that particular time, you know, they were they were they were kind of taken back by this whole sort of thing. Um, but in terms of what they thought of it, they thought, well. These guys have thrown down a legacy, or thrown down a you know mantle, and we we'll pick it up. Certainly, afterwards, talking to them in the in the change rooms, they, they had absolutely no problem at all. Particularly when they won the match, you know, I mean, they had lost the match, they might have said something different. <laughs> However, the Air Blazers and some of the English Blazers weren't too happy about the whole thing that we did this. Mind you, a few years later, Cockrell copied us. Yeah, I know. Well, it's been there's been a version of it many times. Uh, uh, some people have said that in the professional era, is there a place for something like the hacker? Do you think there is? Well, personally, I find it a wee bit tedious, but um, other people get value out of it, and it is a bit of theatre. So mm. if you're trying to put on a show, and this is part of the show, then 
you know, don't take it out. Okay. But that explains why other people are trying to find something to diffuse it. Because as Willie says, if, if it's your home stadium yeah. and the opposition are coming in and putting on this little show and critically, uh, they're not doing it before the national anthems. This happens immediately before the whistle. So yeah. it's the it's yeah. the perfect leg up into a game. Absolutely, yeah. I I think it's totally fair enough. Uh, I think it's a fantastic bit of theatre. Uh, as Brandon says, uh, you had a great line about it. You said we lost the game, but we won the dance. Yeah, it's great, <laughs> great. Yeah, okay. But no, it was just one of those. Uh, you know, I suppose I was a mug that Jimmy Davis and you would would do it. You know, and uh, like it certainly for me, it was one of the greatest atmospheres I've ever felt yeah. from a crowd. It was just electric and you could you could nearly see them coming out over the top of the stand, out over the top of the barriers. It was, you know, it was that sort of insightful, which is which is great. So uh, your your career your playing career uh, for Ireland ended around nineteen ninety um and you got into coaching. Now you were there at the very early days of professionalism when when a thing passed over. So I'd ask both of you, I mean how, what was that transition like in this country? If, if the IRFU weren't keen on the idea of a World Cup in 1987, they were even less keen on the idea of the game going pro in 1995. And in fairness, they could have said, hang on a second, lads, we warned you about this eight years ago. This is why we weren't keen. But I remember well at the time thinking, you know, this is, this is something that could really benefit us simply because it forced us to take it seriously, albeit a delayed reaction. But we knew that because we had so much ground to make up, we also had the potential to become a whole lot better. So it, 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 I saw it as a, as a win-win. It was frustrating that it took them so long to say, OK, look, lads, we need to we need to get on board with this. They didn't like it and they dug their heels in and they slowed the progress towards professionalism. But eventually um, they realised there was no there's no point thrashing around in the, in the tide with a pitchfork. You know, you, you need to go with the flow here. So when, we, when they did that, Became quite quite handy. And it was very. It was very probably we were. You know, Ireland was very lucky in the sense that they had four ready-made sides. Sure. You know, because I remember there was like Dungallon were being for it. Gary Owen were being for it. Lansdowne were being for it. Cork Con were being for it. But it wasn't going to work. You know, it wasn't going to work. They didn't have the, the the finance to make it work. You know, for Dungallon to go and play in Europe. Mm. Or Carcon to go play in Europe. They didn't have the backing, so they were very, very fortunate, lucky that they, they had four stadiums, they had four sides who were at another level, and and fairness, that's the way like even predicted by Jimmy Davison, you know, club Ulster. And you uh, coached at London Irish, yeah, uh, in a, at this new frontier of professionalism, but it, it it sounds like some of the old ways were 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 still around, and there was a lot of. In, shall we say off the field enjoyment oh yes well. and, and and I think like a lot of the guys who came from amateur to being given absolutely vast amount of money you know in in, in the professional game and what again, were they getting paid at that stage in interest? well some guys were were getting 150,000 maybe 200,000 even in in the yeah. 90s yeah wow I mean you know like Jeremy got a massive amount to to go to Castra. You know it was just phenomenal. I couldn't I couldn't held him on as a as a director of rugby or head coach. Um, and you know I I know that certainly a couple of players I brought over who were international has got over hundred thousand. So it was vast amount, and they they a lot of these players had come from being amateurs. So you it was going to be very difficult to 
to to them not getting sort of losing their mind a little bit, you know, and going out and having a bit of crack, and that with and I'll put my own self saying, you know, that I needed I needed I needed a Brendan Fanning with me to help me with my backs, <laughs> you know, I didn't I couldn't find anyone, and I would be very much of the fact that I need somebody that I trust and respect, you know, totally because if you don't have somebody with your back, you're gonna get knifed in the back, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was very conscious of that and and just probably stupidly went about it doing it myself and it, I paid the price for that. But it was two of the, the greatest years fun that I ever had coaching. Uh, and getting guys to play and staying up like we, we did stay up so which was which was probably the most important thing for the modern era. Uh, and uh, you also coached in Gannon and yeah. you you won the the AIL yeah um in 2001 uh, yeah so that was a big yeah that was a three-year project uh, that we, we settled down we planned for it we sort of lined people up to it and and, uh, and 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 we got the team together, and we were fortunate with the foot and mouth at that particular time. And a lot of guys who were, you know, who were Ulster wanted to play and wanted to to, to play that style of run philosophy that certainly that that I had sort of kind of brought inside. Okay, so what is your preferred way of playing rugby? Well, it'd be similar to like what the All Blacks do. You know, keep the you know to to, to see where the space is. To and we, we use it in Leinster as well. We see where the space is, attack a space or a weakness, and then flood that space, keeping the ball alive and keeping the ball up, and then having fast rugby, fast ball again. Now you could a early kick or you can whatever, but you can still keep the ball alive. The most important thing was keeping the ball alive, because a lot of people were just nowadays just go for rock, 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 mm. rock. Whereas you know we were looking at keeping the ball alive, offloading, offloading. And attacking the space and, 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 and literally playing with what's in front of you rather than playing the system. You know, it, 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 you know I, I, I'm a great believer in not having a system whereby guys are running away from the ball to get into position rather than running toward the ball because there might be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and a lot of that was born from Jimmy Davison. You know, he was, he was, his whole matter was, look, we will start the game on the wing today because we run these guys everywhere and they're going to run out of puff. So he had a lot of influence on my, Stuart McKinney had an influence on keeping the ball alive and then just, you know, my own through Stephen Abood, you know, looking at sort of how the game, you know, in general movement was very much and that was the next level I went to as well. Uh, and then you went... Uh to work with Matt Williams. Yeah. Um, so obviously you seem to have had a very good relationship uh, and you seem to have seen rugby in, in a very similar kind of way. Would that yeah. be true? Yeah, and, and, and he was very fortunate to, you know, to be in Leinster and to have a, a, a group of guys who again were still getting to be professional. He, he, in fairness, I have to give him great credit because he brought a lot of the sort of uh, professional views that he had in New South Wales in because Australia at that point in time or always were until now way ahead of us and always you know their 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 technique their 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 whole science of the game was 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 much better than what Ireland had but Ireland caught up and now probably passed them massively but he brought that professionalism 
and then he had a you know a, a vein of fantastic players. Brandon, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, they were. Um, it, it was just it was the perfect generation arrived at the same time, which is what you want, and you need the you need the plan in place and you need the structure. And um, Matt followed on. Mike Ruddock had a pretty tough time on his hands. It was Mike who who got the gig originally and he battled along for a couple of years and did a good job kind of climbing uphill and then Matt arrived and he moved it on and by the time Matt went to Scotland then it was probably the right time for him to go in, in a way um, but yeah I, I'd say I'd say probably looking back given that Scotland went so badly Matt probably wished that he had stayed in Leinster a little bit longer but I think by that stage he probably had stars in his eyes and he had mm-hmm. done well with Leinster and he thought oh yeah international will be let's have a go at this What did you remember of the young O'Driscoll? Yeah well I mean he, like he was a young fella and uh, you know he was he was he was absolutely outstanding in terms of his ability on the pitch and it, a lot of people will talk about the likes of George Best or uh, Brian O'Driscoll and you know, maybe people who were around them at that time, like you know, coaches and you know whoever managers, those 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 genius. Nobody coaches those guys. You might show them something, but you, you're actually not coaching them because they're 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 so far ahead. Like Brian Driscoll's genius in rugby terms, um, uh, and and he was so aggressive. Like we were playing touch. I mean, he would be punching guys to to win that match because as a his desire to win was just phenomenal. But like, you know, he had the off days as well. Like, you know, he, he him and Shaggy turned up a couple of days, he'd worse for wear, but that's that's what that's what somebody said, that's what Cubs do when they're growing up, you know. Um Gordon Darcy, former centre, in his uh, he wrote and you have it in, in your book, he, he talks about uh, when you were coaching them about having this thing called murder ball. Yeah. What was murder ball? Murder ball was Literally within the 22, where the 15 meets the 22 on the touchline, and then said that you had, you know, 10 or 10 against 10 or whatever, and you had to get to 50 points. So, you if you knock somebody back, you got a point. If you offload, you get a point. If you score, you got a point. If you won the ball at the breakdown, you get a point. And boys were just getting ripped on each other, and it, it really it really hard to guys it, does it does it work oh yeah it works okay. it definitely works it was it, you know you wouldn't want to be doing it too too many times you know during the week because you, you couldn't because you know it, but you know, there, there was a, a fair bit of blood going but it, you had you had no hiding place you had no escaped you either made the tackle or you didn't make a tackle yeah. and it was very obvious to everybody involved yeah. Yeah, so don't play this game too often. The, the clue is in the name. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's very amusing in the book, and, and again, this is kind of, part, I get the feeling, sort of part and parcel of your personality, but when Matt Williams got the job at Leinster, that he was told, you know, um, he, he was told that, uh, that it would be might be tricky having you as his number two because you were the kind of guy who would uh, turn around and tell people uh, unpolitely where to go in terms of uh, you know rugby discussions and so on uh, and differences of opinion uh, and he 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 was warned against that wasn't he was that in Ulster or yeah, no in Le- in Leinster. Leinster yeah yeah well I probably you know had. Um... I was probably my personality would be fairly forthright and, and honest and um, 
and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really take fools lately, you know, and uh, and maybe I saw sometimes a lot of guys who who were in in positions of power, and maybe I had a, a little bit of a, a, you know a, a anti sort of sort of establishment sort of thing. A lot of guys never played at any level, and never never coached at any level, never you know kicked a ball at any level, and and they were maybe you know setting out their stall to say you do this, you do that, you do that, and and maybe it was something I you know maybe would have been um, not particularly you know honest about you know what Brandon you may maybe be able to come on on that one as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Um... Yeah, Willie. Willie. Willie has always struggled with boundaries. Yeah, and um, th- that has passed over into his dealings with authority. So he was never. I wouldn't say he was never good. It wasn't that he was never good at the political stuff. He just had no appetite for the political stuff. So rather than say nothing and say or, or tip his cap, he just tells someone to go forth and for an occasion. That kind of thing <laughs> tends to have a. A way of coming back to bite you in the ass. So his ass has been well bitten over the years as a result. Yeah, of that. it probably didn't help me, and I wasn't a political animal. And uh, you know, I, you know, maybe I, I, I saw, I could see through people quite fairly well, you know, from a far good distance, you know. And I suppose coming up and bringing up, being brought up on the farm, where you were told like honesty was the most important mm-hmm. thing, and a good day's work was the most important thing as well. So it, it kind of not that I, because I, I had a, I always had a. A tremendous relationship with the players because that honesty they liked. Mm. They liked the, the honesty. They didn't want some flaffle. They wanted this is what you're able to do. This is what you can't do. And I, you know, I believe in you. Or look, I'm, I'm you know, you're going to have to do this. And if you don't do that, you're not going to make it. And uh, a lot of coaches flaff, and they'll tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them what is right. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. And your kind of honesty and, and, and frank expression has at times landed you in slightly difficult situations. I, I remember you, uh, you describing the book about after a semi-final of the Heineken Cup with Leinster um, that you lost against Perpignan. Uh, and the next day in Café Ancien, you had a, a bit of a, a disagreement, shall we say, with, with some of the players. Yeah, well, originally, you know, when we're having a big tea in, in, in somewhere in Lansdowne or somewhere like that there, and um, Paul Wallace said to myself, and, you know, 
she was like, muscle wouldn't lost that much. And then it, it, that stuck in me. And then I think, you know, uh, Liam Toland in Cafe On Saying sort of kind of reiterated kind of the same thing. And I, and I was kind of, well, we had a bit of a variables and somebody came over and I could have preached them. And, but it, I, 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 I just was, I was so incensed an Ulster man who would be so passionate about the game, so incensed that someone, you know, would say I'd get by Leinster, who I, I believed in. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed every second that I, I, I coached Leinster. It was fantastic. And I, I just couldn't believe that that sort of view would be had, you know, by somebody saying that Chambers Monster wouldn't last that much. I just couldn't. I couldn't get. I couldn't cope with that. I couldn't comprehend that. And this was obviously in the in the company of a bit of drink as yeah, well. Yeah, and what, was there a bit of a scuffle, or was there? Well, it's you know somebody came over to me and I just sort of pushed them, pushed them slightly back from the stumbled bikes, and obviously everybody had a few jars, but yeah. it wasn't an intentional. You know, I'm throwing my weight around, but yeah, I I I put my hand up, and I did put my hand up to that. But it was, you know, that was that was the that was the the reason that I was so incensed that you know we'd lost this game, we should have won it. There's no doubt we should have won the match. It was there for the taking, and we we had a great opportunity to go the whole way because uh, the final was going to be Lansdowne Road. Sure, and that must have been pretty painful. It um, was for, for one of the most painful days of my life in coaching. Uh, do Do you think sometimes that you got a little bit too involved with the players at a kind of social level and uh, yeah so on occasions I might have done and then I had to pull back but uh, you know you had to make sure that you 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 picked your times the right times and then to make sure you got offside at the right time that was the key yeah. I think that was the most important thing I think it's I think it doesn't any harm to have a few pints with players but you know right it's their time like get get offside they need to go and let their hair down without you looking over their shoulder and you you in your book, you talk about giving up drink altogether. Yep. And your son, Thomas, wrote you a letter, and it's right. quite a, which you published in the book. I mean, yeah. it's quite moving and very direct. How, how did that make you feel? Well, we were traveling along in a car one day, and um, my, my Thomas's grandfather was in the car, and I was in the car, and he was in the car, and I think his, his wife now-to-be was in the car. And he said, you know, his, 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 his reaction was, you know, is this going to be me? Is, you know, are you going to be there for my, for your grandson, you know, in 20 years' time? Mm -hmm. Because the way you're going, you're not going to be. And that had a monumental effect on me. Um, uh, plus the fact that, you know, Heather was you know, um, give me a, a, you know, not a hard time, but chatting to me. Uh, and my daughter, you know, had a lot of influence on me as well, Chloe. So, yeah. And and then I I said, look, I have to do something about this. And I went and gave some treatment. And, um, and it was interesting that there was a situation that, that had, had culminated that, however, Growing up on a farm, growing up in Tyrone, where drink was part and parcel of the whole thing. Rugby is drink as well. I, I didn't have too far to go to be, you know, getting on the wrong side of drink. 
Sure. You mentioned in one of the stories of it, Stuart McKinney and uh, Alex Herrick and yeah. Higgins. And Stuart McKinney had a, a bottle of 151% proof rum from yeah. Bermuda. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, he was known for being able to hold a, a drink or two. And Alex Higgins went up to him and said, I, I hear you can drink. And yeah. he, they got into a drinking match. Yeah, there was a hotel just in Botanic Avenue. And I, I, I mean, I was I was just a driver, as it were, you know, as Judy would said, come on, we're going to meet this guy. And, and then the next thing was they were, they were, they were actually, you know, trying to, you know, beat each other, you know, so they were a bottle of, bottle of stout and, 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 and then they would put this shot into it and then they would be starting to drink shots of it. And the next thing was, you know, Alex Higgins just absolutely collapsed <laughs> and nobody was able to carry him out because they were all pissed. And then the manager says, well, you're sober, you carry him out. So I carried him and put him on my shoulder. He was like, he was like a, just like a bag of bones. <laughs> God help us. Oh, like he was a genius. He was not a genius, you know. Yeah. He just again just went off the rails. Uh, but he was a complete genius in terms of snooker. And I can't him in the car. I think he made the maybe lost the ultra championship the next day, or he certainly he'd lost the first ten frames that way. Well, didn't he? Didn't he say the next morning? He said, "I lost seven frames because of you." Uh, when do we start drinking again? Was, yeah, right. Away from from uh, from rugby. Now you've mentioned your uh, to your children, uh, Thomas and Chloe. You also have an, uh, uh, another uh, boy, Jonathan. And yeah. he he has done something fairly spectacular in the world of design clubs. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of people you know don't associate maybe somebody who's you know you know a son of somebody who's played rugby and been in that sort of game. But um, yeah, he's I mean he like my daughter and he uh, completely dyslexic. Uh, you know he he didn't get into grammar school, but then he eventually did, and then he went through and he got he got his way through university and. Um, yeah, he's he's a genius in terms of what he's done and what he's why he's why he's achieved it because he's so determined and the brand name is J W Anderson Jim, yeah. and and he also works for Loewe, which is a a Spanish company, but it, their offices are all in Paris, so he, he works in London and Paris with both companies. But he yeah he's 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 phenomenal, and we've gone to some of the shows or a lot of shows, and it it, it is very similar to. The build up to a game, and I hope to take Brendan to to a show, you know, and, and, and because the the intensity before before a show is like what you will have, and everything has to be right, and and uh, you know, going down the catwalk, and it's only it's twenty minutes or 20, maybe less, and that's over, and then it's you know your, your adrenaline's gone, and then then the next thing is what's happening, and you know what's the reviews like, yeah. you know, you know what is Brendan. Falling rooting about me when I played today, <laughs> you know what I mean. So I think, highly, so I think it's highly unlikely you ever <laughs> gave a fiddler's what I know about but, you. But that's that's intense. But he, you know, he and he's 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 been very good. My wife is delighted because she's got any god's amount of um, handbags and dresses and oh, things. Yeah. You know, and the dog are the same. So yeah. Yeah, and do you have any clapper from? Yeah, I've got a belt because that's about the only thing that fits me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, and we've we've it's been a fascinating conversation. We're kind of running out of time, really. But um, I, I just wanted to, to to ask you briefly that in the book, there's a letter that the older you writes to the yeah. younger you. Very very skillful framing, I have to yeah. say. Um, and you tell the younger you what to 
expect uh, what's going to happen. Um, yeah. What do you think the younger you would have thought of that? Um, if he'd received that letter, he might have been, he might have been fairly frightened about it all. Uh, you know, having gone through some of the things that I went through, it. Um, um, I think he would have been maybe proud that you know that you got to that point. You know, in the sense of cheapers by the by the skin of your teeth, you got there. Were there times when you thought you weren't gonna? make it uh well uh, i mean certainly the time that not as a player as a human uh, it's so yeah well the time was well, certainly when the guy said you know, like the, this cry won't be executed that was <laughs> that was a fairly sort of <laughs> substantial time um there was it was a few times and um just when i was probably drinking and that sort of thing it, um and i was a low ebb and you know that sort of crack um and you know just just other aspects, but I was I've been very fortunate to have had the the love of you know Heather and she stuck by me and we were married thirty eight years. We know each other for about forty two years. Um, from Argentina and we've been through every emotion that any couple could be through. We've got fantastic kids and the three kids have been outstanding and and they've all had that drive and determination to be very successful and they're every one of them in their own right. And now I'm very, very fortunate to have at least, well, at the moment, two grandchildren and I hope I'll have more. But those, that's really, as I said to Brandon at the very start, that's why I did this book, for they can read it and say, well, look, he wasn't perfect, but um, he got there and, you know, he's left a bit of a legacy. It's been fantastic talking to you and meeting you, Willie. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, thank you very much for coming in. And thank you, Brendan, as well. Cheers, Gary. Thank you very much for the kind words. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Legend isn't strong enough a word. Thank you again to Gary and Willie for joining us for this Rugby Legends series. And thanks to you, the listener. For more podcasts and great conversations, visit seniortimes.ie.